0: Simon and Wayne's Spiffing Review, with your hosts, Simon Jones and Wayne Bolt.
1: Hello! Hello! And welcome to Spiffing Review. With me, Simon Jones. And me, Wayne Bolt. And today we have a special guest
2: reviewer, Nigel Clegg. Director of the internationally
1: acclaimed
2: Arms Race. Yes, produced by It's a Trap who of course also happened to produce this podcast, so there's no conflict of interest there at all. No, none at all, none at all. So, um, what
1: we have got coming up today? Well, we're going to have a, a chat about Arms Race with the director Nigel Clegg, uh, and then we're going to uh, give you a very valuable health warning about a film I saw recently. Then we're going to, have to take our usual trip to Detroit the park, and we're going to round it off with a Harry Potter review. Yes, Deathly Hallows Part 1. Part 1, indeed. Right, so um, let's
2: straight away get into talking about Arms Race. Yes, uh, so if you're not familiar with Arms Race, this is a short steampunk film that uh, our little team put together over the last year or so. came out online about a month back. Uh, You can find it at armsracemovie.com. And we've got the director, Nigel Clegg, here to ask him about the project. So, Nigel, first off, uh, where did the idea come from for the film?
0: Uh, The idea started with a prop which is probably not the best way to start a film but I just decided to see whether I could make a uh, a sort of steam tech looking Gatling gun with rotating barrels etc to test out my uh, skills and when the actual prop was successful I thought we ought to then actually use it in a movie Mm -hmm.
2: Uh, Where did the idea for steampunk, I mean why go down that particular kind of genre route?
0: Um, Partially it was the challenge of actually making something out of metal Hence brass and copper Which sort of puts you in the steam tech genre straight away And also partly because a lot of the other genres Particularly zombie movies etc have been overdone of recent So I thought it would be nice to try something a little bit different
2: Yeah, where steampunk, particularly on film Is kind of underrepresented generally
1: Yeah, I think there's only really Wild Wild West Which the uh, casual viewer will, will really have as a reference point
2: Yeah, and not a great reference point either so uh although it does look like there's some more steampunk stuff coming with Sucker Punch by Zack Snyder, which is looking interesting. Yeah, oh, good. Um but yes, back to arms race. Um so it started with the props, particularly the gatling gun. Um what's your sort of method for putting together props like that and trying to do it
0: on a low budget and that kind of thing? Well, obviously, uh, based on low budget, you have to try and keep your costs to a minimum. So a lot of it's based on what you can actually find, largely at things like car boot sales. And you're usually quite lucky if you're looking for things that are brass-related because there's a lot of old sort of... uh, brass uh, blowtorches and things that you can buy and cannibalise quite quickly. So you have to make it in a sort of practical way, but you also have to make it based on what what you can find. Mm-hmm. So I ba- decided to base it around a, an electric hand drill to give us the rotating motion, and from there it sort of then blossomed into finding pieces that would cover the drill so the drill was no longer obvious, and then pieces to augment it to make it look a lot more interesting.
2: Yeah, so lots of different bits from all over the place essentially that you then kind of piece together into this new... Creation.
0: Yeah, accumulated over a couple of months of going to car boot sales and seeing things in shops, and just also basic plumbing parts as well. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and obviously
2: we started out with the Gatling gun prop, but by the time the film actually went into production, you also had some other things coming in, like the binoculars, and you had, of course, the, the, the steam tech mech wandering around with a, a pilot inside it. Um, so that's quite an expansion from the original
0: Gatling gun concept that was uh, that was the writer's fault he decided that it would be good to have a nice giant robot in the film as well and presented the script to me and then of course that made my mind start to decide how I c- how could I make a robot how could I make one that would work could we do it and it led from there so it's partly to do with making the script a bit more interesting you don't want to just make it about a single prop but also about testing our skills and trying out new new techniques yeah so
2: with the mech how did you go about designing and coming up with the kind of the general design concept for actually
0: bringing that to life Well again that was sort of based on limitations of of what we can do so I was actually thinking stop motion initially because I thought that would be possible but obviously that has uh, uh, time concerns you take a long time to do a stop motion film then I realised that you know with a lot of radio controlled toys available at the moment you can buy an existing toy and then change it so I bought a toy that um, you could already use in a remote control fashion so we could get its movement and then changed its look so it would look like it was made from brass and made in a sort of steam tech design. Are you allowed to mention the the, the brand of the toy? Uh, it was a RoboSapien originally, mm-hmm. so I, I bought, bought it off eBay really cheaply, obviously you can get things quite cheaply there, so once I had that it's then a matter of just uh, altering and gluing the plastic and then giving it a finish to make it look a lot more, uh, more metallic.
2: Yeah. So did you build on top of the RoboSaping or did you kind of strip it down and then rebuild the, the, the casing?
0: A little bit of both, mostly it was built on top uh, a lot of it was excess things were cut away the style of it was changed to change its shape because it wasn't that happy with its initial shape but it's a bit of both really
2: mm-hmm. um, So yeah you, you had those those key props how did you then go about actually getting a team on board to kind of create the film itself?
0: Well that's the benefit of working with the It's a Trap group is that there's a lot of people who are interested in doing filmmaking a lot of people are interested in doing um, sort of stunts and special effects and you can generally find uh, people to, to take on acting roles as well because we know quite a few people in uh, the Norwich area who do acting in a, largely in an amateur framework some professionally so by identifying the sort of needs that require, that were required from the script, were they able to identify people? And a lot of it sourced from the pool of its attract people, but with additional help.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, the production... Well, yeah, the shoot was a single day, and then there was about a year of faffing about in post-production before the thing was actually finished, and now it's finally out. So what what, what have you taken away from the reception of the film?
0: It was very positive. It was uh, actually a lot more positive than I expected because, obviously, when you put something out on the internet, you're leaving it open to to people to make comments about, which is fair enough because that's why you're using that format. But it's, it's nice to actually see such a positive... Uh, sort of response to it. Obviously there's a there's a couple of comments and I actually agree with, with the slight negative comments. There were limitations with doing all our filming in one day. So we did make a couple of little mistakes that we couldn't really fix afterwards because we had one day to do the shoot. So there was yeah. no chance for retakes. And you don't really don't really have the liberty of going back and reaching it all anyway, um,
1: even if you do notice the the, the mistakes in, in post production. But I think from watching the film, the mistakes, even though they're there, you you sort of don't really mind Uh, Wants to accept the fact that it is actually just a a very low budget um, film, and it's not like some of the stuff you see on on the sci-fi channel.
0: Yes, yes. So, (laughs) um, that in a minute. And we we had to build the set, do the filming, and take the set down and leave it back in its original the era, back in its original sort of um, way we found it, all in one day. So there's no way we could then go back and do a reshoot because we couldn't rebuild the set Mm. or not Mm. to the exact specifications. It didn't exist any
2: further. No. Um, How important? Do you think it is to, to this kind of filmmaking, when, you know, really tight budget, really tight schedules, uh, to get a kind of sense of humour
0: into the whole thing? I, I think it's very important, because the difficulty is, 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 because of a low budget, you're, you're very limited in how you can shoot things. You can't decide that you want to shoot something and then just spend the money to make it work. You're very limited in what you can do. And often with a sort of project, because of those limitations, you need to sort of take it a little bit lightly you need to be serious in the way you film it but you need to take it in a little bit of a light-hearted manner so the people watching it can can laugh along with the way it was done but also enjoy the film and I find a little bit of humor makes things a bit more interesting to watch Mm -hmm. unless you're technically brilliant and your story is really honed doing something that's completely serious is very difficult so now that you've got a
2: bit of distance from the project it haven't been out for a month or so uh, is there anything you've particularly learned from it that you'd put into future projects
0: I think uh, the pre-planning, um, we definitely needed to do uh, better pre-planning, particularly in terms of uh, thinking about the miniature shots, thinking about the directions of movement of people in, in the background area, but also uh, allowing time for the, pre- the the post-production, because the post-production took a long time, and we hadn't really planned, out, planned that out before we started. So we actually got all the footage quite quickly, but then finding the time to put it all together was a lot more difficult. Mm-hmm.
2: So, yeah, you found that most of the planning kind of went into the shoot and then the post was almost
0: an afterthought yeah well we knew we had to do the post but we didn't actually sort of plan out an an itinerary and and try and work out ways of supporting the person doing most of the post-production so that we could actually get that done a bit quicker Mm
2: -hmm. yeah so following on from arms race and all the stuff that you kind of picked up from it uh what plans have you got for 2011 in terms of new film
0: type projects I think it'd be quite interesting to do some more miniature-type stuff to see how well we can actually make that look, because the miniature filming came out a little bit better than I expected and I think we could actually improve on that, particularly if we plan out the shots with a lot more care and combine live action with miniature and then CG again, but in a sort of bigger, more expansive way. So my next project is to start playing with a couple of tanks and see where that leads. So, as usual, starting with the props and then the story will fall into place rather than starting <laughs> with the story and making props to make it fit. But yeah. That's a sort of fault of my background, I'm afraid. <laughs> so, uh, this is now our third or fourth um,
1: video we've all done together. Have you got any advice for people out there who might be interested in starting making their own films as to uh, where, where to really get on the bus?
0: I think the secret is just, it's, it's not that difficult to actually do the filming. You need the help of a lot of friends, but uh, you should just get out there and try it. But the secret, well, it's its get a project finished. Start it, complete it, get it edited and, and put it out there. I've I've worked with quite a lot of people in the local area who've done films and haven't finished the project so people put a lot of time and effort into these and they don't see a finished product they're not as likely to help you next time so if you start a project always finish it
2: yeah Um, i think when you're working at this level that's really important because even if you finish something and it's maybe not quite as good as you hoped the fact that you finished the project means that it was worth doing because the next time you do something you'll have learned from that project whereas if it just kind of gets abandoned and doesn't actually go anywhere then you also don't really learn from it properly no,
0: I think it's it's everything is going to be a learning experience. If if you you can look back at some of the other films we've done, and they started off really basic, just taking a camera out on sand dunes with a bunch of friends and a bunch of masks, and you can cut that together with a music video yeah. or, or something like that, and you can actually come up with quite a reasonable um, looking short piece of film with a week you know in a weekend, and actually the editing doesn't have to take as long. You don't have to do lots of post production. You can actually get something finished quite easily. Yeah,
2: I think it's important um, with every project you do to try and up the stakes a little bit as well. Uh, just try and, you know, don't always do the same kind of thing each time. You know, each project you do, focus on a, a different aspect that you want to really kind of bring up to a new level. Uh, so, with you know, with Arms Race, you had the props that you were really focusing in on and trying to get them to work and, and bringing in miniatures that hadn't been done before. And you always have that kind of, you know, trying something new where when everyone who's involved is doing it on a volunteer basis, that really helps to get everyone's interest up.
0: Yep. Yeah, and it's, uh, it's the way I find it interesting. I wouldn't want to just do the same thing over and over again. I think the best way is to get people motivated to say, wouldn't it be cool if we could do this? And then you can just go out and try it. And it might not work first time, but you might learn how to make it work the second time. And there's a lot of things you can learn off. There's a lot of videos and help on the internet on how to do these things. So you just plan out how you would like to do a shot, and, and there may actually be the information out there already to actually help you do it. Yeah.
2: yeah. Right, well thank you very much Nigel, uh, as we mentioned you can go and see Arms Race for free on YouTube, uh, go to armsracemovie.com and you'll find all the details there.
1: Yeah, I think Nigel's going to stay around to uh, uh, give his views on some of the trailers in the trailer park coming up in a minute, but before we get there, um, I just thought I'd give all our listeners out there a public safety warning, uh, there's a film uh, in, the, uh, in, in the public domain called The Da Vinci Treasure, do not watch this film. It is terrible. Is that it? The yeah, end. No, <laughs> now, it? it's, it's a typical sci-fi channel, um, very low-budget uh, film, um, which may as well have been done by a low budgie. Uh, it's just everything about it is particularly wrong. Um, Anything the, to do with the Da Vinci Code films? Well, it's very, very similar, but they do manage to get around the copyright for it by calling their version of a Da Vinci Code the Da Vinci Codex. Everything you can think wrong in the film. Um, it, you know, Da Vinci Code itself wasn't a particularly fantastic Oscar-winning performance, but it's like Ben Hur compared with um, what's well, not like Ben Hur because there's no chariots in it, but compared with like with Da Vinci Treasure, which is trying to be tongue-in-cheek and taking, taking mick and trying to be a bit oh, so this really appeal to, um, that sort of strange sci-fi viewer audience, uh, oh, myself included, i would watched some of this sort of stuff like Stonehenge Apocalypse and Quantum Apocalypse, they're dire, but at least watchable, but with Da Vinci Treasure, it's just terrible. For some reason, the, the cameraman, this is what really got me, was they decided that it'd be a really good feature of the cinematography to have freeze frames, then a close-up, and going straight back out to the normal um, camera work. Now, I was wondering if the camera was broken and only had one camera. During it all, and then they realised it was a bit of a mistake and thought, oh, we would make a feature out of it. Yeah, it's alright for the first couple of minutes while you're introducing stuff, but not all the way through a
2: 90 minute film, or whatever it was. Good God, it's terrible. That was Wayne Bolt doing the public a service by warning them <laughs> off dangerous films.
1: Yep, right, so after all that,
2: we'll now get on to the trailer park. Yes, as usual, we have gone to the Apple trailer website and picked the latest five films to see what is coming up in cinema soon. Mm. So, first of all, we have a film called The Beaver. Yes, we we always wish that we have films called The Beaver in the trailer park, and this week we actually do. Yeah, it's almost
1: like our dreams come true. We can actually review a beaver-based film.
2: Yeah, and even better, this is a beaver that has Mel Gibson's hand up its ass. Where could it go wrong? Yes, uh, this seems to be Mel Gibson Says Sorry, the film, as far as I could tell. He's a a a family figure that's gone to ruin and his wife and kid don't respect him and his job's gone to par, all this kind of stuff. So to fix this, he he finds a puppet beaver in a a bin and that solves everything and gets his life back on track. Yes. But you notice...
1: That um, Mel Gibson himself can't say sorry, even though you're saying it's a Mel Gibson saying sorry film. Mm. He can't say it, the Beaver has to say yeah. He's sorry.
2: Yeah, I think this would be a more interesting film if it was actually a documentary about Mel Mark Gibson, Gibson finding a, up a beaver yes finding a beaver as a way of somehow getting back into the public's affections um, but it appears to be fictionalised which is a bit of a shame Yeah. Uh, so yeah possibly one of the most bizarre
0: concepts for a film I've yep. seen I didn't know what we right. to la- laugh or cry Nigel any thoughts on that? Just, what do you think of Beaver? I'm just kind of surprised they managed to get the concept through to being filmed yeah. it's like surely one of those things that you know in a drunken moment down the pub you might suggest wouldn't it be good? Well, yeah, was, was it not a Jodie Foster directed movie? It was yeah. directed by
1: Jodie Foster who's also stars in it?
0: Yeah Yes, Uh, so yes, uh, I'd love to have been in the
2: meetings where she was like, this would be a great idea, let's get Mel Gibson uh, and a beaver puppet Mm -hmm. and have them share screen time. I'm
1: not quite sure why the beaver, when it speaks, uh, is sort of speaking in that sort of. uh, Ray Winston. Ray Winston Winston kind of. Maybe it's because uh, he saw the line The Witch in the Wardrobe in which Ray Winston voiced Mr. Beaver. Could be. Uh, and It'd that's be- what Mel Gibson thinks all beavers sound like.
0: Yes. Are you sure it's not just some, good, some <laughs> kind of joke joke trailer that they put together uh, to say, know. hey, look, we're going to release this film, but actually uh, we're not. It's all a big joke uh, on you guys. I don't know. It, it is does seem joke. like
2: a fake trailer that you might get in the middle of Grindhouse or something. It, yeah. But,
1: but, but, uh, but it, well, it's not. Right. So, Nigel, I don't know if you uh, you, you know this, but after every trailer, uh, we give it what we like to call a Gertie, which is our rating system, based on the Gertie um computer from the Duncan Jones
2: film, Moon, yes, yeah, so do you want to start off Wayne, so that Nigel can see how it works? yeah, well, normally um
1: we'd go for a sad, happy or other uh, face i 've gone for a quizzical, not really
2: sure what to make of it face yes yeah, so i've I've gone for a face with two asterisks for eyes in a kind of completely
0: stunned and perplexed face. Mm. Can I have a shocked and slightly alarmed face Yes, 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 can.
2: that will work fine, so yes, uh three new Gertie. <laughs> there for the beaver.
1: (laughs) Right. Uh, And the next trailer we saw was a film called Battle Los Angeles, possibly Battle Los Angeles 2011. not quite sure.
2: Yes, and there's something about worldwide something or other. Um, Yeah. So, yeah, I think um, I'll give a sad face to the name of this film. Because we're not really sure what it is correctly. And if it is called Battle Los Angeles, that's also a really stupid name. Yeah. Well, it does appear to be a bit of a,
1: it does what it says on a tin film, though true yeah, because yeah. it looks like um, it's following up the history of UFO sightings has now led to another alien invasion movie uh, where things get blown up but other than that I can't really see what's new in this film which yeah. isn't
2: available in countless other films for me it's all these films seem to be blending into one it's the kind of District 9 style way of filming uh, it looks kind of exactly like the Skyline trailer that came out a Month or so ago, yeah, um, and the rest of the concepts just seemed like Independence Day but just filmed differently, yeah. Um, mm. On the other hand, it looked quite fun, yeah, but yeah, it's you know, it's kind of what you expect from that kind of film,
0: yeah. I kind of think it's got potential, but the trailer just didn't sell it. I actually think the idea behind it might be quite entertaining to watch, but yeah, having the watched the trailer, I just sort of went, Oh. Okay. Yeah, it looks like the voiceover was appalling. Mm -hmm. The voiceover was like almost like for a spoof X Files type sci fi thing with all the the history of UFO sightings. It just actually made it not appear as good as it actually might be. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: Anyway, uh, that aside, I've gone for a smiling face because I like Independence Day and Alien Invasion movies, apart from the Tom Cruise version of War of the Worlds, which isn't that great, but it is much better than the sci-fi War of the Worlds 2,
2: which (laughs) is just terrible. The War of the Worlds film would have been a lot better if it hadn't been for that ending where his kid shows up again. That ruins the film. Anyway, um, I've gone for a kind of ambivalent face because I think the film might be quite fun, but... The, the trailer looked really derivative. So.
0: I've got to give it a smiley face because it's got aliens and explosions.
2: Right, <laughs> excellent. Next up, we have an animated film called Hop. Yes, this film appears to be about a rabbit who plays some drums. Hey, uh,
1: that is it, literally. <laughs> no, there was a chicken in it. <laughs> oh, there was a chicken. Oh, yeah, yeah. that's what I call it a chick, sorry. Because it's... the tagline for it is candy, chicks and rock and roll. But no mention of rabbits.
2: No, um... the the start of it I quite liked it had a kind of Pixar-y feel as you saw these little creatures dragging drums across the screen I thought oh this is quite fun a bit like the Pixar lamp and this could be quite entertaining and then it's like a minute of a rabbit playing the drums to song 2 in a badly synchronised manner and then it finishes it was a very bizarre trailer
1: yeah Um, it's
2: not made me want to see the film no I've no idea what the, the film's about um yeah, it's just you can't draw anything from it. No,
1: it could be another case. Uh, we often talk about this, where a trailer um, is particularly poor, and when we do slag off these trailers, we're not necessarily slagging off the film. We're just um, uh, having a go at the trailer because the trailer's got to sell in the film too. Yeah, mm-hmm. it may you might have the best film in the world, but if the trailer's enough, yeah, then yeah, you know, you're not going to think. Oh, I must see that. Anyway, so let's hop to it with our Gerties. Yeah, sad face. Yeah, sad face.
2: Sad face. Right, uh, <laughs> I've done that mic bashing again. Uh-oh. Right, okay, so I'm clear. Okay, penultimate uh, trailer this week is Black Swan, the new film from Darren Aronofsky, who did him for a Dream and The Wrestler and Pi, uh, and he's back with what appears to be a, a horror ballet film, which uh, is a, in- yeah, I a new genre.
1: I, I can't think about many
2: other ballet-based horrors. No, no, I've seen horror films and I've seen ballet films, not many. Um, and but yeah, this is the first time I've seen
0: them blended together. I've yeah. seen a sort of sci-fi horror film that has a ballerina in it called mm-hmm. Impulse from the nineteen eighties. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah, history any story for you? Yeah, quite, that was a good film. Yeah,
2: good, okay. mm. useful. Um, but yeah, Black Swan I think looks really fascinating. Um, I'm not really sure what's going on, but that's part of what uh, interests me in it. Yeah, there, there's a, a
1: lot of strange, otherworldly memory reflectiony stuff.
2: Yes, I think uh, if I wasn't a fan of him for a Dream, I'd probably be more perplexed by the trailer, whereas having seen that and the kind of crazy stuff that he does and how he really doesn't put his punches and he's really uh, good at showing people's descent into self-destruction and that kind of thing um, that appears to be what is going on here as well uh, yeah, I think it
1: looks yeah. really good I think the trailer worked really well because at the start of the trailer I wasn't really that interested I've i, I, I not heard anything about the film before yeah, You're not a big
2: ballet fan uh, I'm not
1: really a big ballet fan, no so I thought, oh, what we got here Natalie Portman doing ballet Oh, I'm not really that interested in it, but now as the trailer developed, it sort of, uh, uh, sort of grabbed my attention a bit more and, and makes me want to see the film. Yeah, which yeah. is what
2: a trailer should do. It certainly looks like a, a real blend of different genres, which mm. I always really like in films if they can successfully pull lots of things together. I think that's one thing about Battle Los Angeles. It's just you know an alien invasion flick, and that's it. Yeah, that's really fun but if you can get something like Black Swan where he pulls in all these different bits and pieces and somehow melds them into something new that's yep. really exciting
1: and there's always a small bit of hope it relates to Lost and the Dharma initiative somehow <laughs> Nigel
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I suspect that it looks quite interesting I think it's one of those films that's quite difficult to portray in a trailer because mm. I, I suspect it's going to be quite complicated and, and interesting and involved but to try and sum that up in was it Two, Two minutes, minutes or so. you know, is, is very difficult, but I think actually it was quite successful in that, so yeah, it interests me enough to want to yeah. watch it. Yeah,
2: getting that mystery over without actually giving it away or just seeming completely random is pretty hard. So, yeah, yeah definite smiley face, from yeah, smiley face.
1: Yep, smiley face, yeah, smiley face. Three smileys, that's a good one, right? Uh, and lastly, and everything is going fine, is it?
2: That's the name of the film, oh, wait, right. okay. Uh, yeah, so this appears to be a documentary about an actor who specialized in on stage monologues, mm. Spalding Gray. Sporting Grey. Yeah. is the name of the actor? I right. Believe. Okay. Not just an insult. No,
1: not some. It sounds like somewhere near Boston, I yeah, in Lincolnshire.
2: Yeah. Um, I it's, thought uh, our oh, American uh,
1: listeners, uh, that's um, near Norfolk. Yeah. <laughs> just around the corner from London. Yeah.
2: Um, so, uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's directed by Steven Soderbergh, who obviously is quite a big director. Um, but you mean he's tall and quite heavy? Yeah, yeah. I'm not saying he's fat. But, um, and, yeah, it clearly this is a sort of passion project for him about. Uh, an actor he really respects and finds interesting I've, I'm not familiar with him myself no. and can't say the trailer really grabbed my interest that much. No,
1: I don't really want to go and see a film about an actor who's had the depressive suicide death based life
0: Yeah, yeah the, the title doesn't really help does right. it and <laughs> everything is going to be fine <laughs> well, well, Sorry, everything, everything is going fine, fine. Like,
1: Obviously, according to what you're saying <laughs> he nothing did, all He this didn't fine. look
0: very happy to me yeah. no. I think the problem,
2: from the trailer at least is that the film looks to be like the only footage in it appears to be him on stage, so it's a static camera pointed at him sitting behind a desk, or kind of uh, head and shoulder interviews. And if the entire film is just those two things, and it's not terribly interesting from a kind of cinematic point of view, um, and I think you know you can make documentaries that you know, have visuals worth speaking of, um, but this didn't really seem to grab that for me. Um, no. And I think in the past we've spoken about is there a place at the cinema for documentaries? And I think maybe there is, but I don't think this is an obvious fit.
0: No. I'm not sure, but did they imply at the end that the actual actor is now dead? There didn't did totally seem confused. to be a suggestion about that, yeah. So therefore, it's cut from old footage. Oh, maybe I, I didn't. Even I'm get not that sure. Far. I could oh, be wrong. Sort of I, I felt, you know, that might be me yeah, misleading yeah. everybody. Well, then that's no good. That... It's like giving
1: the ending away, isn't it?
0: A Stupid <laughs> film. <laughs> I, I thought that's what they said, but oh, God, I, I God, could I, be I, wrong. I don't want to go see it
1: now.
2: I, I think it's probably a case of if, if you love the actor, then I imagine it'll be brilliant. Yeah. Um, if you're not familiar with his work, then I doubt it will be for you. No. So, sad face for the trailer. Ambivalent face for the film, I think.
1: Yeah, a sad face, and I, I couldn't only really give a toss at the face. It's <laughs> a sad face.
0: I, mean, <laughs> I was very sad at the end of that. All
1: so right. yeah, trailer of the week. Ooh, let's have a think. Um, what would I most want to go and see... I think, for me, I'd have to say Black Swan.
2: Yep, I think it's the most successful trailer and probably looks to be the best film as well. And as a runner-up, runner up I'd put Battle of San because it would probably be fun. You know, surprisingly, mm. I'd say Black Swan as well. It doesn't mm. have aliens or explosions, but it seemed the most interesting of yep. all. If only we could somehow combine Ballet with Alien Invasions and Natalie Portman with her hand up a beaver. That would be a good film. Wasn't that...
0: Isn't that the Phantom of <laughs> <laughs>
2: Yeah, well there you go. So yes, or we can just see the Phantom Menace. Yeah. Okay, so that
1: now brings us on to our feature presentation. Well, I say feature presentation. We're not going to reenact it for you. A
2: review of a feature presentation. Yeah.
1: Uh, which is of course Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, Part, part one. one. Now Nigel hasn't seen this film. That's right. I can still have review. Yeah. All right. Okay. I saw the trailer. Have you read the books? Uh, no no this is actually quite an important What? so you're now just gonna listen to us and just chirp in to see if it makes sense what we're talking about yep. Simon you haven't read the book have I you? haven't no 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 um, I have
2: and obviously whenever you see a film adaptation of a book uh whether you've read the book or not is quite a big factor because that will play into how successful the adaptation is uh, you know if you haven't read the book then you come in fresh you don't know what the story's going to be similarly if you have read it uh, you've got the problem of comparing the two and maybe you won't have your favorite scene or you won't agree with the way an actor Portrays a character and that kind of thing. Um, So yes, uh, Harry Potter and Deathly Hallows. Can you give us a quick summary, Wayne? Yeah, well, the
1: film is the beginning of the end for the Harry Potter story, as it follows Harry, Hermione, and Ron as they go on the run from Voldemort. Oh, you're not meant to say his name. uh, And an increasingly authoritarian Ministry of Magic, whilst also trying to find and destroy more Horcruxes. Horcruxes, you remember, uh, came in in the um, uh, the the Prince of Darkness. Prince of Darkness. (laughs) What was called the Half Blood Prince. Which I still think is a... a, a sort of what's movie. a horcrux? Uh, a horcrux is... Uh, it's like an object which Voldemort has split part of his soul into uh, to help keep him alive. Yeah, the idea
2: point. is that as long as there's some of these horcruxes around, he can't be killed, I think. Something like that. Yeah. It, yeah, it's a, yeah it's, it, an, it's, a, it's a typical J.K. Rowling plot device, basically.
1: Yeah. Um, anyway, so uh, previously in Potterland, they've already dealt with some horcruxes, um, Actually, this is what they've got to do. They've got to destroy these Horcruxes to try and end Voldemort. And they have previously dealt with a ring and a diary. Um, and at the start of the film, they're in the possession of a mysterious locket.
2: Yes. And uh, yeah, and then the film progresses Tarantum from there. From there involves yeah. a lot of camping, walking yep. around, yep. and trying to find a way to destroy the Horcrux. Mm. Um, so, from my point of view, having not read the... Uh, the book. Um, I found that the film itself contained the stuff that I've always found the most compelling and entertaining in the Harry Potter series. Um, The the early films didn't really grab me that much, had some nice ideas, but as stories they always felt pretty flimsy. Um, Then as they went along they started to introduce themes that I completely didn't expect to actually be in there. Um, So you've got stuff like the propaganda and censorship that comes in with the newspaper bits and pieces you've got the rise of fascism that kind of starts to creep in in the background mm-hmm. and how kind of bigotry and prejudice and they start to try and you know uh, imprison certain people and trying to change people's opinions of particular types of people and make them afraid of them and all this kind of stuff which you don't really expect to see in uh, a series of films that's essentially for kids and teenagers and I think having that stuff in these films is re- and the books obviously is really really important because um, it gets yeah. young people thinking about this kind of stuff
1: yeah and I think as well a lot of the audience w- would have grown up with these films and everyone sort of grown up uh, yeah. a lot of the type of audience have grown up with the characters uh, and that everyone introduced you sort of see them grow up from being the 10 and 11 year olds they start out at Hogwarts up mm-hmm. to the uh, uh, camping in a field um Eighteen, nineteen 19 year yeah. olds
2: and obviously the early films show this kind of magical thing about going off to magic school and this kind of stuff and it's all lovely and amazing and then gradually you start to see the darker yeah. side behind the scenes and uh, yeah it's it just it's going to start making young people think about that kind of stuff and for a generation that doesn't really remember like wartime and Nazism and all this right. kind of thing it's it's pretty cool to have that stuff in there yeah, it, and also it does it in a way that it, it's not hammering it over the head it's not um, doing it in a preachy manner it's just there in the no, plot it's good to teach
1: kids about fascism
2: yes exactly um, and you've also got the, the core relationship between the three lead kids um, and I've always enjoyed the Potter films the most when it's about that stuff when it's about all the Voldemort stuff and the big epic plots and battles it kind of loses my interest a little bit whereas those three I've always found quite compelling, um, even in some of the early films when their acting wasn't particularly great. Um, but they've kind of got better as the films have gone along as well. Uh,
1: which, which is more, like I said, for a lot of the, uh, the cast. Unfortunately, the uh, Ginger Weasley twins <laughs> haven't really grown up to be great actors. No, but they're still
2: Ginger, so, you know, it works. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, from, from those points of view, the film's very successful. I, I really enjoyed it uh, all the way through until it stopped halfway through.
1: Yeah, now this is something which is very apparent about this film, is... It is just totally setting out to be um, the scene setter. It's uh, it, it doesn't really work as a film on its own because it just it's just building up and building up, and you don't actually get really much of a resolution. Yeah,
2: but to clarify, it's not quite the same as say Back to the Future Part Two or the Two Towers, where obviously those films have that same issue of they don't really have a start and they don't really have an end, but they still have a self-contained bit of story. That works really well so the two towers for example you have Helm's Deep and all that kind of stuff and so even at the end of Helm's Deep nothing's really resolved you still have that satisfying climax uh, that a with, little bit
1: of something's been resolved
2: yes exactly mm-hmm. um, it feels like that part of the story is done yeah you know um, we Deathly Hallows obviously J.K. Rowling didn't write it which is split in mind let me finish the sentence sorry <laughs> um, and so suddenly we had this story where the whole point it wasn't of the book, edited. presumably was you have this lengthy opening bit which builds up the tension and the setting and where the characters are and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, and a then... rather
1: lengthy dog camping bit which I think they managed yeah. to capture quite well yes, in the film.
2: Yes, excellently. Um, but all this build up stuff which I actually really liked I thought it worked well in the film but it only works if you have then the climax and the the kind of action stuff that is presumably yeah. to come in part two. Yeah. Oh, see, for me uh, as having
1: read the books uh, I appreciate this film for the fact that it's getting rid of all of this uh angsty trudging through stuff to get to the exciting finale because it does all come to quite a well actually I, I thought the books was a bit of let down at the end but maybe the film will actually do a lot of justice to it as um, th- there's not much left to go in terms of developing the, the story further mm-hmm. so I think we could be in for quite a, a roller coaster ride yeah. on the way through which I'm quite looking forward to mm-hmm. uh, and, and to me this film is just about getting all the, the stuff in the book in which you have to Get into the film, get it out the way, so then when we get to part two, uh, we can have a, a more exciting time of it. Yeah, I think so. You got you got to take the film for what it is, which is oh, we got to sit through this just because we have to. We got to get it out the way, and then we can get mm-hmm. to the finish.
2: I think if they'd uh, made all the tickets half price, I probably wouldn't have minded so much, but it does literally feel it's almost like you feel but like they, the projectionists were, got it wrong and put the end credits on they were half price. We, we've point. got Wednesdays
0: yeah that doesn't count All right, okay. so somebody who hasn't seen it yet is it worth me waiting until yeah. the next one comes out Watch this bother, one on DVD and then go straight out yeah. to the cinema yeah,
2: don't bother watching it get it on Blu-ray or DVD and then watch it like the night before you see part two and that will work really well uh, what I actually think they should have done is release like I don't mind them splitting it because I like that they've given it enough time to play out and it's better than having a four-hour film that still feels rushed, you know. But mm. um, putting a six-month or nine-month, whatever it is, gap in between is ridiculous. It's like reading the book, and you get halfway through the book, and then someone comes up and takes it away from you and says, oh, you can't read anymore for nine months. It's ridiculous. You can't do that to Fascists. a story. Yeah, exactly. That's what the film's about. Um, but uh, what they should have done is just release both films at the same time. I think that yeah, would have been. I remember. A, that would have been a really epic uh, event in terms of like, cinema, and then you can basically... But you know, they would
1: have taken all the money still, wouldn't they? Yeah,
2: exactly. They wouldn't have taken any less money, probably more, if anything. Um, but release you know, I wouldn't have minded paying to see this one and then immediately thinking, oh, i see the next part, I'm going to see that. Yeah, um, bring
0: back intermissions where someone brings ice creams halfway well, through. Yeah. And you yeah. know, well,
2: some cinemas could have had double bills. Yeah. You know, they could have had you one pay, running pay, against the other. pay a double ticket, you know, or, yeah. or whatever, but... And that, that would yeah, have been just, great fun. Yeah. Um, and a really big epic finale, whereas yeah. now... Even going into the final one, obviously, I don't know what's going to happen because I'm not seeing the story, but um, presumably it's not going to have a proper build up. You're just going to jump straight into this stuff. And for me, just like this one ended weirdly, that's going to start weirdly, and I think that's probably going to damage the finale for me as well. Yeah. So I think, taken as a whole, taken
1: parts one and part two combined, or watching them one after the other, mm-hmm. I think mean, this is an occasion where it definitely worked to watch it that way. Yeah. Whereas uh, part one, you know, I just came out the film, uh, my, my initial feeling of coming out the film was, well, that's that bad out of the way. Yeah, thank um, God for that. Yeah, and now we can look forward to the next bit. And yeah, you just want to see the next bit.
2: Yeah. I mean, I'm confused because on the one hand, I thought it was an excellent film and I actually really enjoyed it all the way through. But it was only in the very final scene when, well, I won't say what happens, but... Uh, the very very final scene, I suddenly thought, "Hang on, the film's about to end, isn't it?" And I had I had literally no concept it was about to finish. Um, and if that's the case, then you don't really feel like you've had a satisfying third act because mm-hmm. there isn't one. Yeah. Um, so on the one hand, it's really good. On the other hand, the ending's doesn't It's not there. So yeah. yeah. So I mean, you
1: know, it, it's worth watching. But I think this is one you could skip and wait till it comes out on DVD, as we were saying earlier on. Get it on DVD bef- uh, just before the the main film yeah, part two comes out and then watch them pretty much back-to-back, back, yeah. I think you're going to get much more out of it. Uh, I mean, in in context, once all seven or eight films are out... I and, think work really ...and well. people have their marathons of watching all the
2: Harry Potter stuff, it will work really well. Yeah. But I mean, just, I
1: would, it's sort of like suspended in a crazy kind of Harry Potter limbo. Yeah, and I wouldn't it,
2: be surprised if some cinemas do re-show part one at the same time part two is released. I wouldn't be surprised um, if some
1: cinemas do an all-night showing of all the Harry Potter films. Yeah,
2: yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean... <sighs> Yeah, I, I wouldn't want to <laughs> criticise the film, because I like it. But uh, yeah, if you can possibly wait, especially if you've not read the book. Uh, if you've read the book, you can kind of fill in the blanks for yourself. If you've not read it, don't bother seeing it yet. Wait until the second one's yeah. out, and then do a back to just
1: an interesting question, because um, you having not read the book, did a lot of the bits and pieces about uh, who was getting married to who at the early on wedding stage make sense? Or was that just like we just accepted it was something going on in the background?
2: Uh, it was a bit weird. In the middle of this extreme high tension and undercover and they're trying to stay low-key, suddenly they have a wedding with a load of guests. And I was thinking, that's a bit of a security nightmare, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, there was a lot of bits like that which seemed to be in there to kind of placate the fans, yeah. which didn't actually serve any purpose plot-wise at all. Um, so not, yeah. not in context of the films, I don't? No. No. but
1: in context of the book it's quite an important part mm-hmm. of what's going on but you know, that's just one of those things where it, it, it does this is the whole thing with the Harry Potter films i found, uh having read them is you, the films are just guiding you through the story which there's yeah. a lot of presumption you know what's going on so they're just showing you the bits they want to show you
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, and this is even more apparent in this film it was, it's very know, it was much a
2: lot... plot point A, plot point B yeah. and plot point's yeah. in
1: the, yeah. the end and, and, and uh, we're, we're talking like when we uh, reviewed The, the Half-Blood Prince um, which was our first one I think wasn't it might well have been
2: might yeah. well have been uh, right so yeah uh, a bit of a confusing review that one because it's not a bad film but it's a non-ending yeah
1: so. well it does end that's the problem if it was non-ending
2: yeah we've yeah. got the yeah, but if it carried on and actually finished the story then it would probably be a yeah. glowing review yeah
1: maybe we'll come back to it um, when part two's out and then look at it again and
2: see how it works yeah. all together yeah I'd certainly like to do that there, to see how it works as a whole because I feel like I've only seen half a film yep yeah. So, um, I think that'd be it. We've gone on a bit longer than usual. Yes, thank you very much to Nigel Clegg for coming along to talk about Arms Race. and uh, uh, which they can see where again. Is it Some uh, website? Think, I think it might be armsracemovie.com. Yeah, it's a very good website. Yes. yes. So, uh, yeah, if you uh, get a chance to watch it, let us know what you think. Uh, and thank you to everybody that has watched it already. It's much appreciated. Uh, so, yeah, that's everything for yep. this week. Unless,
1: uh, Nigel, any final words? Not from me,
2: No, no? okay, right. In which case... <laughs>
1: Goodbye! We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye! If you'd like to contact us, you can email Simon and Wayne at spiffingreview.com, follow us on Twitter at spiffingreview, or visit our website spiffingreview.com. Thanks for listening.